dangerous but useful. That's one way of describing electricity. Electricity can kill, on the one hand, but if you take proper precautions, if you respect it, it can do all sorts of useful things. Cook, heat, cool, power computers, cameras, televisions, medical equipment. Dangerous but useful. Same thing with petrol. Dangerous but useful. Respect it. It can power your car, your generator, your lawnmower. Today's society wouldn't function without it. But disrespect it, fail to take the right safety precautions and it can literally blow up in your face. And dangerous but useful is how Jesus describes money here in Luke 16. On the one hand, he says money is dangerous. Verse 13, you cannot serve God and money. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, if you love money, it'll destroy your relationship with God. You can't love both. But on the other hand, he says, wealth is useful. Like verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself for eternity. In other words, a wise use of worldly wealth now brings eternal benefits. This is a topic that's close to Luke's heart as he writes his Gospel. One of Luke's main themes is how Jesus welcomes the poor and the excluded, the sick and the widows and the children and the Gentiles, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus welcomes them all. And another of Luke's distinctive themes is about hospitality and eating and drinking. How Jesus ate and drank with people like that. And also how followers of Jesus invited people to meals so that these people could hear about Jesus as well. People used their money to make friends for eternity. Like Levi, the tax collector in chapter 5. He leaves everything to follow Jesus And then he invites a large crowd of tax collectors to a great banquet to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus does the same thing in Luke 19 and then he uses his wealth to repay all of his cheating. Luke is the only one who records Zacchaeus. Another special passage for Luke is in chapter 10. Luke is the only one who describes the 72 missionaries who were sent out. They're commanded to find somewhere to stay in each town. They're to look for a man of peace, someone who will provide them hospitality uh, so that they can do their ministry in that town. Also in chapter 10 is another distinctive uh, of Luke. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Think about that parable. The Samaritan is the one who's the true neighbour. He binds the man's wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He carries to carries him to an inn and then he even pays the bill to the innkeeper. Chapter 12, the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool. Only Luke records it. Uh, The wealthy farmer is a fool because he selfishly spends his money on himself. He's not rich towards God. 
And then Jesus teaches us about not worrying and how God will provide our physical needs when you seek his kingdom first. And then Luke is the only one who adds these words from Jesus. Sell your possessions, Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give them to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Only Luke. We get the same themes again in chapter 14. I hope you're looking along with with me just to uh, check I'm not making it all up. Uh, Using wealth to welcome the poor, same in chapter 14. Jesus is eating dinner at a Pharisee's house and when he sees how everyone heads for the most important places, he says they've got it all wrong. Chapter 14, verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, invite the poor, crippled, lame, blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. Do you see? Luke's been saying for chapter after chapter, because Jesus himself said it, use worldly wealth to gain friends for eternity. God's children are to act that way because that's the character of God himself. Jesus goes on in chapter 14 to describe the parable of the great banquet. God himself shows hospitality. He invites people to come. The rich and the important don't bother turning up, they're too busy. And so what does he do? He goes out to find the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind instead. They're the people God is welcoming into his kingdom. And so we saw last week in chapter 15 that Jesus loves to welcome people just like that too. Chapter 15 began, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so we come to chapter 16 where we get two parables about money and the point of both of them is summed up in verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So two parables, the first one is a parable to encourage, that's for the disciples, the second one is a parable to warn And that's for the Pharisees who are still listening in. So we're going to have a look at both. Jesus begins with a parable of a rich man. Uh, He finds out his manager is blowing the prophets. We're not sure whether it's dishonesty or incompetence. Uh, But either way, he can't do his job, so he has to go. Uh, He's called in, asked to present the books, uh, and now the manager has a problem. He's been found out, he's going to face the sack, He doesn't have much chance of finding another job. He's too ashamed to beg. (laughs) He's too puny for physical labour. So his options are severely limited. And so he comes up with a plan in verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe? 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down and make it 400. Same with the second, uh, verse 7. And his plan is, he's going to make some friends now while he still has some influence so that when he loses his job, he'll be able to call in some favours and perhaps get a job or at least uh, some lodgings. 
It's a clever plan. But the big question is, will it work and what will the boss do when he finds out? Well, the boss's response is surprising. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. We may not agree with his morals, but we applaud his cleverness. Notice the boss commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He doesn't commend the shrewd manager for his dishonesty. He's commended for his shrewdness. Well played. And Jesus' point is not that we are to copy the dishonest steward. He actually wants to make a contrast between us and him. You see there in verse 8, the people of this world, people like the dishonest manager, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. His lesson is that we should learn something from this guy. We should learn to be shrewd. Uh, He's not saying we should copy his dishonesty. And here's the goal of us being shrewd. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. Jesus is saying what he's been saying for the last few chapters. The kingdom of God is about poor and crippled and lame and blind people, about the outsiders. They're the ones God wants. We're to use the money, the things that we have, to be hospitable to them, to invite them into God's kingdom. It's just what Jesus did. That's just what God does. And that's what we should do too. When we're obedient like that, it results in our welcome into eternity. Being hospitable now leads to hospitality at God's eternal banquet. And that's far more important than simply building up your earthly bank balance. So let's think a little about what we're actually called to do. It's more than just what we do with our money. The world is, uh, the word is, is broader than uh, simply cash. Uh, it's literally unrighteous mammon that we're to use. It's all the things that we have. It's our home, food, car, trailer, tent, boat, holiday, house, books. It's our time, it's our leisure, it's our skills, it's the connections, it's the country we're born into, it's whatever we might have. How can we use all of that to make friends for ourselves for God's kingdom? Everything we have is for the purpose of making friends for eternity. That's the only value that they have. Uh, The things we have are not for hoarding or gloating over. The things we have are not for collecting or polishing. They're not for comparing with others because they don't last. You can't take them with you. Do something wise and shrewd with them and put them to use for eternity. If that boss sat down to look at your books, your asset register, your inventory, what would it say about you? How have you used those things to make an eternal difference? What percentage of your money is used for others, for missionaries, for hospitality, for Christian books or programs or music, for ministry, for attending Christian conferences, 
How do you use your home? Is it just for you or, or is it for others? How do you use your leisure time? Your holidays? Do you make the most of the time you spend in the gym or walking the dog or watering the garden? How much time are you spending watching TV? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves for eternity. Luke might have been written 20 centuries ago but can I suggest it's right up to date with modern culture. Sam Chan has written a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World uh, and it's got the, t- the subtitle How to Make the Unbelievable News About Jesus More Believable. Uh, and he, his, his thesis is he wants to champion hospitality as the way that Christians can break through into Australia's post-Christian culture with the Gospel. You can't just front up and tell someone about Jesus and about how God who made the world and how they're sinners and that Jesus died to save them and they need to repent and turn from their sins. People have no idea what you're talking about. Hospitality, the strategy is to build genuine relationships, genuine relationships with non-Christians that lay the foundation for you to speak to them about Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? That's that's nothing new really because Luke was saying exactly the same thing. Jesus was saying exactly the same thing. Use your worldly wealth, your time and your house and your food and your cooking and your kitchen and your money to make friends for eternity. Jesus goes on to say it's a matter of being a good steward with what you've got. Uh, Verses 10 to 12. If you use well the things God gives you here, then you'll show yourself trustworthy for eternity. You'll show yourself worthy of receiving true riches. And using it well means you need to recognise that it's dangerous as well. You can't serve God and money. You can't use money well if you worship it. You can never use it well if you love it. If you value it for its own sake, you will covet it and keep it and make it your idol and not use it. You won't sow it to produce an eternal harvest. To love God, to be a good steward, means you actually have to hate money, says Jesus. The way to be a good steward is to hate the money, at least in terms of what it can do here uh, only for eternity. Worldly riches are most effective when they're treated like electricity or petrol as dangerous but useful. Treated with caution, wealth can do wonderful things. But when people don't take its danger seriously, when they covet it, when they treasure it, wealth can be deadly, dangerous but useful. Well, it's at this point, uh, as Jesus talks about hating money, that the Pharisees scoff. Uh, Verse 14, they've been eavesdropping. They laugh, they think it's ridiculous that God and money are poles apart because as they see it, financial prosperity is actually a sign of God's blessing. I must be doing something right in God's eyes if I'm rich. Wealth was a measuring stick of their relationship with God. 
Worldly wealth was something to be proud of. And so they loved money. Jesus has some words of warning for them, verse 15. You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. Jesus wants to see generosity, true obedience and love for God that comes from the heart. The Pharisees are concerned only with greed and then they make up excuses about why they can't be generous. Is there a little of that in you? Uh, You have stuff that you could share, that you could give, uh, but you make excuses for why you're not generous. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being a good steward. I need to watch the pennies. God knows your heart. Are you generous? These Pharisees, they pretend they're godly. They pretend they're following the law, but God sees their heart. He knows they love money more than they love him. They've got one idea about who should make up God's kingdom. It's for wealthy, respectable people, law keepers. But God's on about something different, says Jesus. Verse 16, he says, uh, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Now, I think Jesus is saying something like this. It used to be God's kingdom was about keeping the law and the prophets. That's what you guys think you're doing okay at. But now things have changed. There's good news, the kingdom's being preached and everyone, the dregs of society, are being encouraged to come in. There's no good and bad, there's no acceptable and unacceptable, rich and poor, everyone is pouring into the kingdom. Things have changed. But just in case you think they've completely changed, that the law no longer matters, I'm not saying that, he goes on to say, nothing drops out of the law, from the old into the new, everything is still valid. In fact, in some ways it's even stricter, like adultery. You Pharisees think you're doing so well, you think it's okay that you can just divorce and remarry any time you feel like it. But that sort of attitude of swapping and changing when the mood takes you is nothing more than adultery, he says. Now remember his main point through this whole chapter has been about worldly wealth and how to use it wisely. And the Pharisees don't want anything to do with that. And so Jesus in verse 19, has a parable for them. Another one about riches. Uh, This one is for those who who don't want to hear, who love riches and don't want to be wise. It's a parable to warn. Uh, It's about two men, one who's rich and spends every day in luxury, spares no no expense, wastes money. We're not told his name. He doesn't deserve a name. And then there's Lazarus. A beggar who's lying at his gate, covered in sores, starving to death, too weak to stop dogs licking his sores. Uh, verse 22, the time came when the beggar died, angels carried him to, the, to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw 
Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Uh, the tables have been turned. This rich guy has done nothing with his wealth apart from spend it on himself. Uh, he's failed to use it to gain friends for eternity. The opportunity was there to, to help Lazarus, but he missed out, and so he himself is not welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's what Abraham reminds him of in verse 25. Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, Lazarus received bad things. Now he's comforted here, you're in agony. And besides all that, there's a great chasm between us. Those who want to go from here to you can't. Now the story could stop there. The eternal consequences of choices today. But the story doesn't stop there. If Jesus was only saying we should all give money to poor people so we can make it to heaven, that much of the story would be enough. But it's not what he's saying. There's a sting in this tale. For the first time in the story, the rich man begins to show some concern for others. He wants to send a message to his five brothers. Now, presumably, they have inherited his wealth and are doing exactly the same things with it that he did. Verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. The right thing to do with your riches, it's there in the prophets. It's there in Moses. They they have no excuse. It's right in front of them what they should do with their money. Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees. Uh, They know what they should be doing with their money. It's right there in Moses and the prophets. But their greed won't let them. Their hearts are wrong. They love money more than God. The rich man continues, verse 30, no, that's not enough to just have Moses and the prophets. But if you sent Lazarus, if someone from the dead went to them, surely they'd listen, surely they'd repent. But look at what Abraham replies. And through him, Jesus is speaking a word against the Pharisees. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And that's the heart of the matter for Jesus. It's not ultimately about whether you give money to the poor or not, but it's the heart attitude that loves God more than money. That's what counts. It's the heart attitude that refuses to listen to Jesus, who comes preaching repentance and forgiveness and who welcomes tax collectors and sinners and who ultimately will rise from the dead. If that's your heart attitude then that's going to result in judgement. You'll end up where that rich man ended up. So what's your attitude to Jesus? He's come back from the dead. He has come back from the dead to prove to you that he's God's king, that he speaks the truth. What are you doing with him? What have you done with what he says about wealth? Two parables, both about riches 
both with the same message, use wealth to gain friends for eternity. So be encouraged. Uh, Treat wealth like electricity or petrol as dangerous but useful. Be warned. Don't love money. Put God first. Listen to his word. How are you using your wealth? Is it making a difference for eternity? We're always interested in what sort of financial return our money's earning. But what about our eternal return? How is your money building an eternal return? How is it welcoming tax collectors and sinners? And what about your heart attitude? Are you giving joyfully or grudgingly? According to Jesus, your financial budget is a reflection of your heart. No servant can serve two masters. He'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So where does your heart lie? Where is your joy found? Where is your treasure? Is it God and his kingdom? Give everything for him so that you might be welcomed home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see more of you, to see more of the beauty of your character and how you work in the world, that we might treasure you. Help us to recognise all that we have as a gift from you and that we might use it well and wisely. Amen.